helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. From the Music City, this is the broadcast of Leaders by Leaders for Leaders. Thanks for joining the conversation. And this episode has a very special conversation. Dave Ramsey, our founder of Ramsey Solutions, of course, the man who created the term Entree Leadership, of which you are a part of that awesome tribe, and his longtime producer, Blake Thompson, his very first producer. Now Blake is an executive producer and actually on our operating board. And Blake Thompson listens to every one of these episodes before they go out. And uh, so he's a big part of this tribe as well. And so recently I got in Dave's studio with Blake and Dave, and we go back on 25 years of the show. It's really good stuff. A lot of great leadership content there. And then after that conversation, I have a very special personal announcement. And we'll give you something, too. But I'm excited to share something with you folks that I think you might be excited about, and I want you to be excited about it, because I'm out of my mind excited about it. So there you go. Is that a good enough tease, Eric, the producer? I think that's that's what we like to see there. So uh, let's get right to this. This is such a fun, fun conversation when you realize that Blake and Dave started out in local radio. It was a circus. It was an absolute circus. And it started very, very small. And here's what I love. It started with a vision, having no idea what the provision was going to be. I tweeted that this morning from my account, at Ken Coleman on Twitter. The vision always comes before provision. It's just that simple. But Dave knew what the vision was. Even though he didn't know how the mission itself would lead. So good. Take some notes. Be inspired. Here it is. My conversation with Dave Ramsey and Blake Thompson. Well, this is so fun to have Dave Ramsey and Blake Thompson in studio. And when I say in studio, not our normal entree studio. This is the big show, as I like to affectionately call it, the Dave Ramsey Show. And this past June 29th, we celebrated 25 years. And so, Dave, I we have to start with... When did radio first pop into your mind as a possibility? So you've got, you go bankrupt and you start digging out and you go, I want to help some people. When do you first entertain the idea of maybe a radio show is a good platform for my message? Oh, I didn't. (laughs) It it, it fell into my lap in the sense that God directed it. But no, I, I went on a show to promote the local real estate club that I was on. The show was like a bad Saturday Night Live skit like bad financial hour you know is what you would have called it in saturday night live right and this guy had a horrible show and he let anybody on so he let me on to talk about some nothing down shyster that was coming to our real estate club to teach people about real estate with nothing down and i was on there to promote it because the i wanted people to come out and join our club so that's why we we're having this big guy come to town so anyway i went on and we ran out of stuff to talk about so the guy goes hey so what are you doing these days i know you like lost everything and in, in real estate and he had lost everything so we're sitting there telling like foreclosure jokes or something you know <laughs> and uh like sick humor and and he, i said well i'm actually helping people at my church getting out of debt and that kind of thing and helping them with their foreclosure and that if they're facing one and that kind of stuff and so he goes hey if anybody's got any questions uh dave's here he'll help you and i went uh and the phone rang and he never got any calls because nobody listened to the show but the phone rang no call screener he just picks up oh. <laughs> and i was like you know you have no idea so anyway i started answering questions he's like hey that's fun let's do that again and I'm like, yeah right i don't think so but i went back down a couple times and did the show and then a, a friend of mine heard that the guy quit read it in the newspaper i think it was like two lines he quit because the station was in bankruptcy and didn't pay him his 35 dollars or something so he goes hey let's go down there and do that show and i'm like i don't want to do radio man this radio people are like bankers you know big titles no money i need money my kids are trying to eat it we're broke and he goes hey you know we'll go down there you can do it a couple days a week i'll do it a couple days a week it's only an hour a day you can look at it as a ministry and i had just written financial piece and he had a copy of the manuscript it hadn't even been printed and he goes hey who knows you might even sell some of that stupid little book you wrote uh little did he know yeah. you know and wow. so we go down and talk the guy into letting us work for free i did the show two days a week he did the show two days a week another friend of mine did a real estate hour on fridays and that's how it started how far removed from bankruptcy 
is this story you just told? Give us an idea of that timeline. File bankruptcy, September 23rd of 1988. We went on the air June 29th of 1992. So less than four years. And you're three, still three digging a, out, right? Three and a half years. Yeah, I mean, I owe the IRS. You don't get rid of them. The right. KGB stays with you, man. And so we're still struggling. I mean, I, I'm doing real estate deals again, but I didn't have any money. So I was just flipping. But I was making six figures again. Right. And I was teaching this stuff, the financial peace materials at my church as a Sunday school. And doing it as a ministry, you know, just helping people with counseling at night and that kind of thing, helping people get their budgets together and that kind of thing. And, you know, a couple of people asked me to speak somewhere, and I did, and then the show came up, and I'd written the book. I had no idea I was going to sell the book, and it all kind of came together. How long did it take you to write Financial Peace, that first edition? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I flunked English class. So um, I cheated in English class. Uh to keep from flunking, but uh, I wrote it in about the initial on paper in about four months, but the editing process is what was the nightmare because I handed out, I was stupid, I handed out 17 copies of the manuscript for people to read and give me their grammar comments, their story comments, their spiritual and scriptural content that I'd get it right and everything else. And so somebody would send me their notes and I would go through and change the things they said. And so I'd be like on page 16 and I'd you know, change this. This is, you're too mean here. Change your verbiage and be a little nicer. Okay, I'll change it. And then I'd read the next guy and he goes, this is the funniest thing I've ever read. Don't take this sarcasm out. And so I'd go put it back. Right, you know, it's like back and forth. Yeah. Back. It was just, it was a horrendous way to edit a book. Just a horrible, horrible. Wow. And so we're going to get to the season where you decide, okay, we're going to take this radio show a little bit to another level, and we'll hire Blake. But before that, so now you're selling the book, and I've heard you tell the story of selling out of the back of your trunk. You're now on the show. You start moving the book. The radio show's going. At what point do you realize there might be, and maybe you didn't, but as an entrepreneur, certainly for this audience, you saw a problem. It came from your personal story. You began to try to solve it, and you got some momentum. At what point does it enter your head or heart, Dave, that there might be something here? You're, you're making six figures again. You know you know real estate really well. You've been successful. You know you're going to get back. But this whole money game, that's the name of the show, as it develops in the book and teaching and speaking at churches, did it crystallize at some point? You went, this might be my future. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. It was within 18 months of starting the show that, wow. that we went full time. Right quote, financial peace. I quit doing real estate and opened a little office, started doing coaching and speaking and selling books. Radio show didn't make money. It lost money for the first probably six years that we were on mm-hmm. the air. But we knew the need was there. And part of my recovery from going bankrupt was I, I studied and read and learned biblical ways of handling money and started realizing that I wasn't the only one that was stupid. The, the majority of people, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, you know. And so all these people walk around acting like they've got it together. Almost none of them do. So I started realizing the market was huge, that the, the need was huge. And so if I can help them with a book, I could probably sell a bazillion books. If I could help them with a class, I could probably sell a bazillion classes. But we never thought the radio show was ever going to be a big profit center which is ironic because it's a huge profit center today, but um, it was the megaphone. It was the way we sold tickets to seminars. It was the way we got people to buy books. It was the way we got people to buy counseling. It basically was an infomercial for all the things that we had to offer in the early days. And so it was a loss leader. You know, a marketing mechanism is what it became very quickly and still is. It's not a loss leader, but I mean, it still is a megaphone for our message and letting people know that, hey, we can help you in a lot of different ways. Where is the show at when you start to look for somebody that eventually becomes Blake Thompson? How long has the show been going? How is it doing? Take us to that moment. The Gaylord bought the station out of bankruptcy, and Gaylord's a country company. They had WSMAM, the Grand Ole Opry, and all that kind of stuff. So we figure we're all dead. They're going to fire all of us and take this. It's an FM 100,000-watt FM station, so it's going country. We're all dead meat. And Gaylord did some qualitative and quantitative research, which was unusual for radio people. They actually asked questions to find out what was going on with people because they would call them up and they would say, hey, do you ever listen to WTN? No. Do you ever listen to 99.7? No. Have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? I listen to him every day. Well, that's the station I was on. But they never taught us to say call letters. Right. So we were completely illegal. You're supposed to say the call letters by FCC rules <laughs> right. once an hour. Right. We never said them. Nobody was listening. No. We thought. 
And what they found was there's a bunch of people listening, and it wasn't showing up in the ratings. So as soon as we start saying the call letters, our ratings went from zero to four to seven to 14, mm. which is unheard of in radio. And we own the market. So Gaylord realized this, and they're like, okay, we're keeping this thing talk. It's a gold mine. There's a bunch of what they call phantom cum, meaning a bunch of listeners that weren't reporting, weren't showing up in the ratings. So they came in, sat down, and they said, okay, do you want to stay? And we're like, yeah, we want to stay. Um, but we don't. you don't even have to pay us. We figured out we didn't want to be owned by them. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to be employees. We wanted so someday you'll have to give up part of your clock because we want to syndicate this someday. And so anyway, they moved us to the afternoon which we thought was suicide because it was one hour before Rush came on and then two hours against Rush. And they said, we can beat Rush. And I'm like, you can't beat If I can just survive against Rush, I'll have a story to tell. And you can syndicate from that. And so we ended up beating him in the in the Nashville market. And, of course, they made a bazillion dollars off of us because we sold endorsement ads locally. And uh, it really started monetizing locally at that point. And that gave us a ratings and a revenue story to tell to start syndicating. So we started in, the, in 92. We're with Gaylord a little while, and it gets settled in a little bit. And then Blake comes on board. And I guess that was uh, like 94, wasn't it? 96. 96? July 96. So four years. Yeah. Four years in. <clears throat> four years in. And at this point, I want people to understand this. At this point, you don't have a full-time producer. You've got have, somebody no, essentially operating a board, or you operate. No, it's the, the radio board. station. Right. That was a radio show yeah. that they had. Yeah. Uh, local radio shows, all we were. So they furnished all the technical. Right. They furnished the, quote, producer, which was somebody that answered the phone and ran the board. But I didn't need a producer. They, that was part of the deal. They furnished right. the equipment. They furnished everything. We worked for free. Right. All we got was endorsement fees. But then when we start to syndicate, we've got to think about things that they don't make money on, meaning we get other radio stations we got to fool with, and they don't, you know, they don't want anything to do with that. So we had to staff it at that point. And so Blake comes on. It's four years. Because you came on in, like, June. Yeah, July. July yeah, so it's like almost four years to the day. Yeah. So now you enter into this 25-year calendar. Mm-hmm. Where are you at? What are you doing? And how does this opportunity enter into your world? Well, I'm a Kansas City boy. Came from Kansas to uh, Trevecca Nazarene College at the time. It's a university now, and it's a small. Uh, it was a small private school here in Nashville. My parents both went there and um, met when they were 19. Got married at that age there, and had me shortly after. But we ended up in Kansas City. My dad's a minister, but uh, I came out here my sophomore year just to get away. I'm only child, and just said it's time to get away because the college was across the street that my dad worked at. My church was across the street. My school down the road and it was time to break out so i came to nashville by myself in a truck loaded with all my stuff long story short i graduated from uh, college in 93 at treveca i got engaged the day i graduated my wife tanya i was a broadcast uh, communications major and i graduated with that and i had this dream of starting independent radio and music station and programming those and i thought you know i'd be on wnaz the local uh, nazarene uh, radio station here and i would go right from that right into that job and you know i was like the reality of marriage and taking care of a wife and need that job to support her was just like a pop in the face i didn't just walk into that and so i started working at this place called nashville legal copies we had set up copy sites and law firms all around nashville and we started with a few and ended up growing that to 20-something. And I started as a copier and moved up to managing all those sites and had about two to three team members in each one of those major law firms. And like every 15 minutes, they'd go around to the secretary, take the uh, order of, hey, send this UPS, double-side this, print this, whatever. And I looked over those things for uh, three years after graduating. And that whole time, it was like, oh, man, this is it. You know, I'm trying to find radio gigs, trying to find that producer type of deal at the same time. But I started growing so fast in there. The money was getting real uh, good for that age group, for my age at that time and me and Tanya. And so I was like, okay, that's the most important thing. But I dreaded Monday morning, Mm -hmm. Sunday nights. Tanya said she could see the shift in my face. Mm -hmm. I'd go from the weekend guy to it's time to go back to that. But I worked hard at it and busted my butt. And one of the worst days of my job, two people didn't show up and my pager goes off. And I look down and it's a 248 number, tells me it's Treveca. 
So once I get a break, I call and I get a hold of a, a communications professor that I've known there and stayed in contact with. And she said, hey, Blake, I just got a call from Dave Ramsey. He called the school. Um, now, do you know who Dave Ramsey is? I, I, she asked me, do you know who Dave Ramsey is? And at first I was like, it doesn't ring a bell. And she said, well, he's the host of a radio show called The Money Game. Dave and I joke about this. We talked about it on the radio show this year. It hit me right then. This is the guy on the billboard of the ads in the bathroom at like all the you know sports bars or yeah. wherever I go to. They were everywhere because they were big locally. Money game was sure. growing huge. It was a, the number one talker in town, beating Rush, like Dave said. And so when he said that, it triggered. And she said, "Blake, he called here." And I was like, "Why did he call Trevecca?" Because um, I saw that as he's big time. And she said he was very pleased with a sales guy he had hired six to eight months earlier and thought he tried Trevecca first, mm-hmm. got her. And uh, long story short, I went in and met with Dave and sat down with him. And she pushed hard. She said, this is a big opportunity because I think this show is going to be huge. It's changed our lives. And he wants to syndicate this thing. And he has a producer kind of board op that works for the station, goes home after the show. He wants someone on his team to work side by side with him and grow this thing. And so I went and met with Dave. We didn't go through many spousals or anybody else. It was Dave and I the first time and another guy. And then the second time we met again. And then we had dinner together, me and Tanya and Sharon and Dave, at a restaurant still over in Brentwood. And um, right at the end of it, he offered me the position. Do you remember the lady's name from Trevecca? Oh, Lena Haggai Welch, by far. I thank her every single yeah. year. 21 years later, every year. Yeah, folks, I, I think there's something here uh, that I want you to focus in on because here's a lady that, you know, he calls. Yeah. He wants a lead. She thinks of you. But she also had big belief in your show. I think that's pretty wild. 25 years later, she's one of the... I mean, obviously, the show's doing well, but she thinks it's going to be even bigger. Yeah. And she goes, this is, a, this is a great thing. I think, you know, listening to people who give you those nudges in life is, is something that's really important. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I'd like to track her down. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I'll introduce so you. you. So Dave brings you in. Mm-hmm. Talk about the first day. Can you, what can you remember <laughs> from the first day? Uh, I remember coming in with a suit and tie. <laughs> and thinking, you know, that's what I'll wear from now on. I mean, Dave even back then had that look. Yeah, he, I've seen the early pictures. Dave rocked the suspenders, yeah. I think, in a few pictures. So I was like, yeah. if he's at that level, I right. got to be at that level. And so, sure. I mean, I went out and bought a cheap suit. I probably didn't own one then. Right. And, um, I mean, first day on the job, it was like, here's the goal. Here's what we're doing. It was immediately going over to the radio show. Mm-hmm. So it was a brand new thing to me. I had to work with the board up there and I work on that relationship for a while and what that looked like for me coming in and taking over the phones and uh, working with Dave and another host at the time. And a lot of that was we were learning and growing. So a lot of it we call like thrown in the fire. Mm-hmm. We were learning at the same time about syndication and how we hook up with other stations and the clock, creating a clock. How do we do that? So it was a lot of just figure it out. What connected to your heart? And the reason I ask this question is because this is Entrepreneurial 101. Dave sees a problem, has a personal story connected to it, wants to solve it. He starts it, and he just you know continues to knock things down. And then you come on very early, but the show's already a success. And I've seen you get teared up so many times if we've had meetings and looking at debt-free screams and all of these things. How early on did you really connect with the mission of the work? Once you get in this place, it ends up in your blood. When I say that, I didn't have that thought process going in. But they always say try to find something where you love what you do and you help people. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, it was in here, but I didn't know that that's what I was walking into. It was purely, I met with him. This guy's on fire. I'm getting on his train. He had me talked into this in about two seconds because I could just tell we're going to be knocking down some walls and I would love to be a part of this opportunity. But man, it just took a couple days on the phone with these people, mm-hmm. which I'd never even thought about. Because you're screening calls. I'm screening calls yeah. right out of the gate and learning that process and hearing them and the desperation and not having the hope and... It's amazing how they would start early. I would notice how it was like no hope, and then Dave would talk to them and guide them, and they'd start getting it. And when they leave, it was a different person that I had answered the phone talking to originally. So long before there was a term called entree leadership, I want you to save that story for how you create it, but long before there was a term, you guys are trying to figure this thing out and starting to syndicate it. That's a whole other deal. You're winning locally, but now syndicating. Because we have so many 
uh, entrepreneurs and small businessmen and women listening in here who are in those early days right now as they listen to this. They've got this big vision. They know that on some level they're solving problems and they're helping customers. They're serving people. As you begin to look, Dave, at and Blake speak to this as well, syndicating this thing. So now we go from local and we're thinking nationally and there's so many unknowns that had to be on some levels terrifying or certainly have some fear and trepidation involved. Take us back to those days and, and how you stepped into those unknowns and what can we as as small businessmen and women take from your experience? I'd love for you both to speak to that. I don't remember being afraid. Never I rem- once. I remember being stupid. <laughs> like I mean, you just don't. I, I so didn't you're know. so stupid you weren't afraid. I think so. Okay. I didn't know yeah. what I didn't know. I get that. I didn't know what I didn't know. If I'd have known how hard it was going to be, would I have done it? I don't know. Okay. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that. I just assumed that we were helping people and we were getting great ratings and great revenues. And why wouldn't somebody put this show on? Right. And it was like quizzical to me when they would say no. I'm like, what's your problem? What is wrong with you? And we would send out these tapes. And, of course, we, you know, I sounded like we sounded like Daryl and their other brother, Daryl. I mean, it was like redneck radio. You know, it was horrible. And we couldn't figure out why some guy in Boston right. didn't want some guy going WWTN, <laughs> you know. And uh, we couldn't figure out why they want to carry us in Boston, you know. Or New England looked down their nose at us Southerners. We were mad, like mad rednecks. And what's wrong with you people? And we couldn't, you know. And we just said, why not? Why not? And finally, people, some people would tell you in a nice way or some people tell you in a not nice way and you go okay that's what we got to do and you know like we for instance we we <laughs> i found this guy this consultant who was a, a crook and um we brought him in to help us and he helped us buy satellite time sure well it turns out he like knew the satellite guy was getting a back door he got a back door on everything this guy and so we were on this satellite paying three times what we should have been paying and it was a substandard satellite. And all these stations are going, you sound like crap. <laughs> then we find out, like, the megahertz or whatever, the thing that it's it's using, we sound like Mickey Mouse coming off of it. And it was nothing more than we bought, like, the cheap satellite and paid three times too much for it because we were just stupid. Right. I just didn't know. And we're like, God, man. And then we found out we could get a satellite time for a third the cost from ABC, and uh, then we go to ABC, and then, what, two years later, they come in, and they go, okay, we're going to do away with that satellite. Everything's digital now. We're like, oh, crap. We gotta <laughs> learn. So, you know, there's always something we had to learn. There's always something we – there was the learning curve on, you know, the marketing pieces, the content, the learning curve on the technology that we had to figure out. Uh, not only was it changing rapidly, but we didn't know beans about it. Mm. I mean, we knew how to answer a telephone. We didn't know how to hook up something to – do this blake or i neither one right. we're like hey we got to get this done so figure it out mm-hmm. and you ask a thousand questions and you look foolish and who gives a rep we're doing this so whatever it takes whatever it takes whatever it takes whatever it takes and you know push through push through and yeah i may look stupid i may buy the wrong satellite but you know that guy's out of the business that satellite company's out of the business we're still here so something worked you mm-hmm. know you just keep going keep going keep going and you learn and learn and uh, course correct and course correct course correct if any one of those things had if we had like i think one of the, the lessons maybe for an entrepreneur is you know don't don't fall in love with your prototype because it sucks worse than you think it does yeah it's gonna morph how you do business your business model the product you actually put out whatever it is, mm-hmm. is going to change, yeah. like, all the time. And if it's not, you're dead. And if you fall in love instead of with the idea and the principle of what you're doing, you fall in love with that, and you're passionate yes. about that. But the process that you use is going to change. Don't fall in love with that. You're going to be dead meat if you do. And if we had, we'd been gone because we, we just didn't. But all we wanted to do was get people to listen on the other end of the radio, and there were all these barriers technology right. barriers radio stations carrying us people selling the show all these different things that were just that were between me and the listener i knew if i could get to the listener we could help yeah. them but see, there was all these con- things between us see that's conviction you knew it was working so you it gave you this courage that you may not even known you had at the time right i, I think that's a real well, takeaway and, the, and then the barrier wasn't oh there's a barrier um we can't do it right. and it wasn't hey we've got to spend a ton of money and bring yeah. an expert in here that can knock through the barrier we don't have a ton of money <clears throat> right we didn't have the money and we get some duct tape yeah. get, get some yeah. bailing wire and We're i love what this. you said earlier you're like why wouldn't people put this on 
there's a conviction there that you knew that you, you were working and that it was changing lives. I think that's a huge lesson for entrepreneurs. If you can if you can prove to yourself that through customers that you're changing lives or you're helping people, there's if a conviction. If you don't believe there. in what you're doing, you're dead. Yeah, that's it. too, it's too difficult. You're right. That's everything it. is too difficult. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe you're you have a difference that you're going to make in the space that you're playing in, if you don't believe in your brand differentiation, if you don't believe in the delivery, the end result of your service or product, you got to have a deep conviction because it's just too hard. Mm-hmm. There's too many big obstacles and you won't run through them. Mm-hmm. You won't run through the barbed wire. You won't climb over the fence. You won't climb under the log. You won't, you know, just keep bumping into it until it cracks or whatever the methodology is to get around it. You won't do it if you don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. And as these owners, it's very important. Like what I saw in Dave early and he still has it now when you're leading your team, you've got to be that driver. You've got to put them in those situations where as as young as I was starting with Dave, I might have held back in doing some of the things we ended up doing, but because of his drive and saying, hey, we're doing it, and you don't even question it, yeah. you naturally get that from the leader, and it, right. it becomes you. I think there's also something I want you two to speak to I think is great for our audience, and that is... In these early days, you didn't even know how bad you sounded, and you got duped, and there's all these stories of doing things the wrong way, but then you kept going, you figured out the right way, and this is where I want to spend a little time, is both of you talking about the commitment to excellence. Dave, you still set a high standard here within our organization that excellence is everything. It's got to be excellent, and we're going to figure it out until it's excellent. Blake, I want you to speak to that, because here you are, a new radio station, and you're figuring out all these things I just mentioned, some of the hurdles. But Dave's commitment to excellence in everything well, before, on a broadcast. Before he does that, the reason we did that was so it was practical. It wasn't like some philosophical thing we believe right, in excellence. Right. It was like, nobody's going to carry nobody the freaking show. Yeah. To it. That's right. If the show sounds like crap, nobody's going to carry <laughs> yeah. the show. That's right. You know, if the host is a, is a redneck, he'll belly, and nobody's going to listen to this guy. He's broadcasting from a double wide. And if the, sa- if the satellite sounds like Mickey Mouse or the long distance falls off, because, see, we were competing against these guys with corporate America mm-hmm. with these big budgets. And so they're delivering solid everything, wall-to-wall everything. And then we're coming in off the back side of a barn right. trying to pull this thing together. And they were using any little thing we did as an excuse to run us down and not let us be on a station. So we didn't have a choice. Excellence yeah. was the only way to survive. Yeah. And, we, and we'd showed up, show up at these conventions with all these corporations he's talking about and all these major players. And to that point, we'd go in and just just to keep winning and make sure we're a part of that and they start recognize us, do our own little marketing, our guerrilla marketing, whatever it took, put our book on their table, give them a demo tape, and try to make, make relationships with them. Really ground floor. Mm-hmm. But it works. David can still slay Goliath. It still works. Certainly has happened. But well, I, I mean, I short-circuited. You answer the excellence thing, too. Just to piggyback off what Dave's saying, it's, it's like, okay, we're big in Nashville. Well, right. That's the ceiling. Okay, what, how are we going to get this message? How are we going? The phones are blowing up here. How are they going to blow up in Dallas if we don't do what it takes to get on in Dallas or Kansas City, et cetera? So it was like, okay, here's the ceiling. If we want to be the best, if we want to be a household name someday, if we want to touch all of America, these are the obstacles. This is what we have to go through. So it's not just the knocking them down, but to your point with excellence, we've got to do it the right way with the relationships and how we do this with each other and et cetera. And, and yeah. All right. One of the things I want to talk about that, again, is such a bullseye topic for our audience, and that's the customer. In this case, you've got listeners, readers, live event attendees that you're serving, all with the same felt need, and you're helping them. I just want you to speak to how over the years, again, some of it's organic and then it becomes intentional to listen to your audience to make sure you're serving that audience. That's one thing that I've always been impressed with, certainly the show and what we do. What can our audience learn about being uh, intuitive to make sure that you're continually serving the audience and you don't try to get doing too much? The main thing is the main thing. It's your life and your money. That's what the Dave Ramsey Show is about 25 years later. Mm-hmm. I think if you're in business for something other than your customer, you're not going to make it. If you're in it to self-actualize because I've always wanted to be one of those, or you're in it to make money, you're not going to make it. Again, it's too tough. You have something that's more noble than just a pile of money. Uh, You have something. And we all know, because companies, when they don't think about the customer, they become transactional. And... They drag their customers off their airplane because they don't think anymore. 
you know, and they become Bank of America, they become Wells Fargo, where it's a transaction versus when you go in your small town bank, they're still looking at the person's eyes. They're still saying that's a person. You go in the small town credit union, that's a person. And you can have a big company that's not transactional. I mean, you can have Southwest, right? They're not transactional. They do a transaction. You have to do transactions to stay open, but they're not transactional. They're thinking about the customer. What's the customer? What's the customer? What's the customer? And it's not like customer service. We don't have a customer service manual today. Our customer service team, our, you know, that takes 20,000 incoming, 800 calls a month, they don't have a manual in there on how to serve the customer. We don't have customer service training. We hire people that care about people, and your job is to help those people figure it out. It is not rocket science, and we had to do that with the listener. And one of the great revelations I remember we came up with, and somebody taught us this, you and me, and I remember we came home, we went, wow, it was like an epiphany, was that the caller on the radio show is not who we're there to serve. Because I would take a whole hour with one caller. Right. Like I was doing a counseling session. Sure. I thought they were the customer. And the guy goes, no, the callers are the records you're playing. The customer you're serving is the listener. You're using the content that the caller brings. You're using the caller. You're helping them, too. Sure. But you're using them to help the other millions of people listening. It changes the calls you take in call screening. It changes how you talk to the caller. It changes everything. So, yes, we want to serve that caller. We want to answer their question. We want to help them. Otherwise, nobody will call because they're not getting any help, right? But they also, there's an entertainment factor. And if they're going to be combative, you know, hey, we'll turn you into a neat radio call. We'll turn you into a legend with your stupidity on the air. And everybody's laughing their butt off in the car, you know. If they're hurting and they're crying, we're going to meet you right there and we're going to help you and lift you up. And everybody's crying in their car. And it's not to be manipulative of that caller, but what we're looking for in the caller is what helps everybody, not just that little weird nuanced thing that they have. And helping everybody can be an entertainment factor. But it also can be literally instruction. It could be uh, motivation. It could just be reminding you that you love your wife, you know, because this guy's calling up and just found his wife just passed away, you know, and God, I got to go home and hug my wife, you know. I mean, that's that's serving the listener and helping that caller. So we try to do both every time, but it was a revelation. You remember yeah, that conversation? Yeah, definitely. And along with that, to your question, Ken, is just encourage the entree leaders to listen to their customer and their felt need. The beauty of talk radios, we hear a lot of them on the air and get to talk to them while we're screening, etc. And if you just get past, we have all the answers, we know this world better than you, you're just the customer. Some of the biggest business units that have stemmed out of this small radio show that started in 92 within this Ramsey Solutions is because Dave kept hearing it over and over from the customer. Some felt need they were looking for and we go, we can plug into that and solve that. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up. Let's talk about seeing the right opportunity and then seizing it. So you're on the air. I, I think of our endorsed local provider program. You know, many of our entree audience come to us from outside the Dave Ramsey Show. I think it'd be fun to explain what that endorsed local provider program is. It's a phenomenal business unit, but it's helping real people where they are as an extension of you through your credibility and trust you built with the audience. Well, that whole thing was built out of a screw-up. Oh, really? Uh, Like so much other things around here. But (laughs) we had a big endorsement that came on, and we thought, oh, God, finally, we got somebody going to give us some money. And it was one of the big brokerage firms and uh, we said, yeah, you can come on and, you know, they're going to give us a big pile of money and we're going to endorse them, send everybody to them to get their IRAs and get their investments done. You know, do anytime you want to do a rollover or you want to set up your kid's college fund, go see so-and-so. So we put these people on the air and, I mean, within minutes, our tribe was responsive. I mean, we started getting hate mail almost immediately. Dave, you're saying do ABC. I go over there. You're, you're saying never buy anything but mutual funds. I go over there. This guy's trying to sell me gold futures. You're saying never buy whole life insurance. He's over trying to sell me whole life insurance. And so this big company, when we send it to their local broker, the local broker is just like, well, I'll do whatever I want to do. And they had no concept that I had been teaching these people what to do right. and that their advice was perpendicular. And so there was this huge thing. And I'm like, crap, I got I to gotta take these people off the air. Because they're, they're, they're screwing my listeners. Oh, man, I need this money, though. 
was we finally we could pay the satellite bill you know it's like unbelievable and uh, so now we gotta take them off the air we can't do this and so i called a couple of the brokers and they're like yeah this is what i do i'm like you're just stupid man what we figured out was was that stupid was not all within that brand that almost any brokerage house has some smart people and some stupid people working for them duh and so we said, okay, regardless of the brand, we need to find individual shops we can endorse, meaning I don't care if they're who they work for. If they do the stuff we teach or they'll agree to do the stuff we teach, we'll send them leads to do that. And so we had to, instead of having just one nice fat endorsement on the network, we ended up having to syndicate the dadgum endorsement of uh, investment advisors is what it amounted to. We had to go to each city and find one that would would align themselves with what we teach so that the listener was getting consistent advice from me and them. And so there wasn't an integrity thing or I wasn't feeding my dadgum listeners to the wolves because that business is full of wolves. And so, you know, we get one that was one brand. We get one that's another brand. And it started all with the investing side. We called them ELPs in those days. Now the investor side is called Smartvestor Pros. We had a brand change on that about 24 months ago. Well, then that worked. And it grew and grew and grew and grew. And Jack Galloway was run, is running that area st- to this day, one of our operating board members now. Treveca boy. <laughs> but uh, so Jack comes in and goes, hey, well, I want to do this for real estate. And I'm like, man, I grew up in the real estate business. You can, there's no way you can get these real estate people to do that. They're, they're, they're a bunch of wild characters. They do whatever they want to do. I mean, any industry that has glamour shots on their business card, <laughs> you have a problem. You know, I mean, this is going to be an issue. Oh, you know, so, so uh, you're going to have drama out your ears, man. <laughs> and uh, so... He goes, oh, I got to try it. I got to try it. You're going you're gonna to regret it, but go ahead. You're going to leave a mark, man. I'm telling you. And I was wrong. I mean, real estate's revenue off the real estate ELP program. And we, of course, found the only the top drawer real estate people. What we were looking for there was the high producers because a lot of people in the real estate business do one house a year. You don't want to list your house with that guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to if you're my friend and you're my listener, you're my friend. Mm-hmm. So, again, endorsed local People we endorse, but they're local, providing help with something we teach you to do on the radio. It gives you a safe place, someone you can trust, and the trust transfer created an explosive brand and an explosive business model, and it's parlayed into a whole bunch of other spaces as well now. Yeah, really great entrepreneurial story there. I love that. Blake, I want to talk about developing leaders. Obviously, this is a podcast we focus a lot on leadership. We're a brand that has the word leader in it. I want you to talk about when you came in, we, we got that story earlier, and now you sit on the operating board, you, you know, beyond executive producer, which you've been for years, you train James Childs, who's one of the best producers in America, to fill your, there is a, there's a real intentional leadership development in this organization, Ramsey Solutions. From the early days to now, what has our company done right when it comes to hiring from without? and promoting from within very intentionally. Well, one main thing nowadays is the interview process itself and what it takes to get in these doors and the quality of the person we allow to be a part of this team. It's purely, you know, grind, do what you're supposed to do, head down and do the work and and work really hard. But more importantly, that is this place means more than just a job. And the leaders in this building that have gone up, whatever way they've grown to what they are today, every one of them have the foundation of they care so much about this place and what we do for people that they will fight for it. Yeah, I think that is just so vital versus just just becoming the expert in your field or just, now that's important too. Read as much as you can, learn from others. I remember meeting with uh, Rush's producer. I remember having a relationship back in the day when G. Gordon was huge. His producer helped me form the first clock. And those things are really important. And that's what we're all called to do in order to grow. But having this place on you so much and caring about the people you're leading as you do get people beside you and really caring about their family and growing them I get more out of guys on my team that have gone from a mid-level or just you know basic to what they are now, like a James, and I have many more that I can name, being able to, to help them become successful and do it right and look back at that where I was when I first came in the door, which is funny, to where I am now, and wanting 
those guys to achieve that too. And it's just, just pouring into them and caring about them. Yeah. Leads me to one of my favorite stories that Dave tells, and he's got a million of them and I love them all. But the very brand that you folks are a part of this awesome, vibrant, growing tribe called Entree Leadership comes from Dave needed to name some internal training. You were training leaders, being intentional. Just share the brief version of that story. And you teach on this all around the country, what Entree Leader means, what an entrepreneur looks like, what a leader looks like, and why you smash those two words together. I knew that we needed new leaders, and I couldn't personally mentor them fast enough as fast as the organization was growing. And so I needed to teach the basics, the tactical things, and the principles both that we were doing. So when in doubt, what a teacher does is they teach, and I'm a teacher. So I started teaching on a class on Tuesday night with an overhead projector and you know, said, if you want to be a leader here, you want to learn how to run a business, come. And, you know, I'm going to do it in the afternoon at the end of work, and I'll give you 30 minutes on the clock. You give me 30 minutes off the clock if you want to learn about it. And so we set up an overhead projector, ran off lessons after I got off the air, and I'd type up a lesson and teach somebody about hiring and firing or teach them about, you know, advertising principles and accounting principles or whatever and those kinds of things. And so, but you have to name the class, right, even though there's nobody coming much. But, I mean, it's not like we're, it's not customer-facing. It was internal. But even then, I'm like, okay, just call it leadership. But I went to business school. I've got a degree in finance. And so I've, anybody that's got that degree has sat in the management class with a tenured professor who's never made payroll. And that leaves a psychological scar on you forever. <laughs> and so I didn't want to call it leadership because leadership reminded me of management class. I know leadership's not that, but it's what it reminded me of. So I knew I needed leaders, but I wanted more than that because I knew we were more than just leaders. I didn't want like a corporate leadership thing. You know, we, we needed people that would grit their teeth, take a deep breath and run through a wall. And that's the entrepreneur, right? And then I got to think, so what I need is a bunch of entrepreneurs. And then you're thinking, oh, God, no, because all of us that are entrepreneurial are a little bit ADD. You know, it's like squirrel. And so um, what I finally figured out was, was that I wanted leaders with the energy of an entrepreneur, and I wanted entrepreneurs with the polish of a leader and the different character qualities that both represents combined. So I just combined the word, and I called it Entree Leadership. And now it's a big enough brand that we're all real comfortable with it, but there's been times that – that it, you know, you spend, you, you get sick of explaining what it was. So it probably wasn't really a good name, truthfully, looking back on it. Because, you know, if you have to explain what your name means, you don't, you know, you screwed up in your branding. So uh, we talked about changing it even back when we did the book. Mm-hmm. We talked about changing the name, but we couldn't come up with anything better. So we stuck with it and ran it on through because it still just meant that to us. Sure. And we were all comfortable. And we thought, well, we'll just spend the brand equity out there to get the customer to grasp what we mean when we say that. But it is the energy of the entrepreneur with the polish of the leader. Mm. And it's grown. That book was number one and uh, still sells like hotcakes. And now we have multiple events. As we look back on this year, we have Entree Leadership One Days with thousands of people. The Entree Leadership Summit is becoming the crown jewel of leadership events with an amazing tribe. All access, thousands of men and women engaging daily, weekly, monthly in a great community that is built on coaching and, and content from our playbook. Christy Wright's Business Boutique, oh. is, that's just a much better name. It, well, true. It's just so descriptive. That's right. It's so prescriptive. That's I mean, right. it's just a much – you don't have to explain. You know what it means. Right. And that's you, a felt need one. That's a great example of Dave and I on the radio for right. years had women calling saying, how do I do this? What can I do to make some extra money at home, et cetera? And Dave's wheels were turning that's early right. about figuring that out. And look what it's become just yeah. from listening to your customer. Well, we have to wrap our time, and this community is so special I just will give both of you the last word. How would you, just from wherever you're at today or or where you're at in this season, and I know you both care deeply about our Entree Leadership audience, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? Uh, If you're ground floor, just thinking of my story of just starting out, don't give up. (laughs) Dave's That's one of Dave's biggest messages for 21 years I've been here and is don't give up. And we have so many examples of times we could have given up. Mm -hmm. And then we get to see every single day the families we touch out there in that lobby screaming their debt free with their kids. And if we would have given up on multiple occasions or saying, hey, we just don't know how to do it. We're not going to knock down that wall. Then millions of those would have never been touched. Mm -hmm. And again, we're big about, we'll just give you the information of how to go do it, but they're the ones doing it. They're the heroes. They're the ones that put their nose down and did all the work. Just encourage 
the first thing I think of is not giving up. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I think the theme of this discussion has just been listen to the customer and care deeply about them. And that'll cause you to not give up. I mean, it'll cause you to iterate. We didn't know what iterate meant when we started, but we did a lot of it. Right. You know, we couldn't spell iterate. 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 <laughs> That's probably what we said, yeah. Do what? You disgusted me. You iterated? But, uh, but the uh, yard? <laughs> For those of you who don't quite get that, Dave took, uh, like, did you take lessons? Yeah, that's to, what he said. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a Tennessee boy, yeah. And, and, yeah, that's part of I had a voice it. coach come in from a broadcast school to teach right. me to not say ass yeah. and instead say ice. So or, we could get or, on in the north. Or going. Yeah. Yeah. Going. Right. You know, I finish my ING's most of the time. I don't always. And I almost always say W now, not W. <laughs> That's right. Unless I'm referring to the W. That's but, right. Um, but, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't know what that meant. We didn't know what it meant that we were, how many times we were going to have to change things. So what we did was we quit doing things that didn't work, but we didn't quit. Love that. And you quit doing things that don't work, but you don't quit the concept. You don't quit. We're still going to get there. We just don't know how. I mean, that color bicycle didn't get us there. We need a moped that does this. We need a motorcycle that does this. We need a rocket ship that does this. And so we got to find a way. You got to find a way to get that in here. We don't have the money. And so we got to make up for it with sweat. And that's all we did. And so we quit doing a lot of things, but we never gave up. And that, there's a little distinction there that is, you know, people say winners never quit. Yeah, they do. They quit doing stupid stuff all the time, but they don't give up. And that's the difference. A quarter of a century is nothing to sneeze about. Longevity is something to aspire to. And both of you have shared uh, so much with us. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. Uh, we did this to encourage you folks. You mean so much to us. So uh, one more time, thanks to Dave and Blake for being with us. We appreciate you all so much. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. We say this a lot around here. Remember, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and I make no bones about it. I declare that Dave Ramsey's a giant. He's a giant among entrepreneurs. He's a giant among men because of his character, because of his commitment to excellence. So thrilled to have him and Blake Thompson with us. There's so much to learn there. And speaking of standing on the shoulders of giants, I get to stand on Dave's shoulders quite a bit. Certainly on this broadcast, Entree Leadership, where I get to sit down and interview the brightest women and men in all walks of life. That then their stories, the conversation that I get to have with them is encouraging you. We hear this all the time. Recently, Dave started allowing me to guest host his radio show, the third largest show in America, something that I never envisioned happening. I'm not a money expert, never will be, but it has been a great joy, and I am beyond privileged and grateful to Dave Ramsey for the opportunity that I get to share with you. Now, many of you may have seen on social media, I've been talking about it, but if you've not seen or heard this news today... As this episode comes to you, the Ken Coleman Show debuts on Sirius XM, and we are going to have a conversation about maximizing the unique role you were born to play. Now, that's going to play out in a couple of key elements. The first is, we were created to work. So what were you born to do? So we're going to focus on helping you discover what you were born to do, and then, most importantly, how to make that a reality. We're getting in the weeds. It's practical. We're going to encourage you. We're going to equip you. And every once in a while, we will entertain you because I just like to have fun. So many of you on this broadcast have heard me talk about the sweet spot and living out your calling. That's our primary focus. But we're going to expand that. You folks are more than one-dimensional. What I mean by that is I am more than just a broadcaster. I also happen to be a husband. I happen to be a father. I happen to be a provider. I happen to be a son. I happen to be a friend, right? The list of your titles in your unique roles goes on and on and on. So to live a life of significance, to make the most out of the opportunity I've been given, to maximize my roles, plural, we're going to add an element that on our Friday shows, I'm going to have some friends of Ken stop by. Friends who are leading experts on marriage, relationships, parenting, money, health. Every once in a while, we'll do some business leadership stuff as well. Every once in a while, we'll do some 
personal growth stuff beyond those big buckets. So we'd love for you to join us. It is on Sirius XM Channel 132, the Triumph Channel. You can also go to KenColemanShow.com. KenColemanShow.com, really, really proud of what the team has done. This is a conversation that will help you all. And I will just tell you plainly, we're going to continue to do what we do here, which is to help you grow yourself, your team, and your profits. But you want to go deeper on your personal growth? You want to get some clarity on where it is you're supposed to be? Come on over to The Ken Coleman Show. Tell everybody about it. You know some friends, some family that are lost, stuck, confused, scared, ashamed, absolutely clueless? Come one, come all. The Ken Coleman Show on Sirius XM Channel 132, com. So thrilled to get that going. So there's my announcement, but I also mentioned a giveaway. So we are so excited about what we're doing on Sirius XM. And I want to mention this really quickly. We have a four-hour block every weekday. The Ken Coleman Show that I just mentioned is a part of it. Our Ramsey Solutions podcast, that's Retire Inspired, Business Boutique, Life, Money, Hope, all of those, plus this Entree Leadership broadcast is going to be a part of that lineup. Each one of those broadcasts will air before my show, then Dave Ramsey. So in honor of this exciting opportunity, we're giving away the book of Entree Leadership. It's the number one best-selling book from Dave, of course. That is the title of this broadcast and our tribe. Entree Leadership, it's absolutely free. Some of you are going, hey, Ken, appreciate that, pal, but I already have it. Uh, you can give it to somebody else. Have an attitude of gratitude. It's what I say to my kids all the time. I kid. I know none of you had that response at all. But just in case two of you did, well, it's anonymous. Nobody knows. Just look around you right now. Nobody has any idea that I just scolded you on that. So give it away if you've already got it. And let me tell you something. Folks, this matters because we are getting new listeners every week. Eric, the producer, tells me that we have over 1,000 new subscribers every week. Folks, that's what we call growth. And one of the ways you can get them to engage over here is send them a free resource like this. Number one, New York Times bestselling book, Entree Leadership. Here's how you get it. Text SiriusXM to 33444. No spaces. Text SiriusXM to 33444. Now, here's the deal. We're only giving this away for three weeks, so you better mark your calendars because if you're like me, three weeks are going to absolutely be gone in a blink, and you're going to come looking for it, and then you're going to have a bad attitude. But I told you, three weeks. Three weeks from right now, this special free offer of Entree Leadership goes away. Goes away, just like your daily grind. Boom, gone. It's tomorrow already. So take this serious and act on it quickly. Well, folks, I say this every time as we end our time together, but we just absolutely want to say thanks for being a part of this tribe, this broadcast, for downloading, for listening, for sharing. And hey, I thank you in advance for those of you that have come check out The Ken Coleman Show over on SiriusXM Channel 132. Really excited about next week's broadcast. One of our favorite guests, Pat Lencioni, is back. We're going even more in-depth on the Ideal Team Player, specific focus on hiring so using it on the front end, not so much training, but really almost recruiting and filtering. So on behalf of Eric, the producer, engineer Will Rudder, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thanks for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon. Very soon.